Our, script, our scripture reading today is taken from Acts 6, 1 through 7. Acts 6, 1 through 7. And in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained to the Hellenist, to the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to, be, to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, cho choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Bruce, for reading our scripture today. And uh, wasn't that a great and inspiring video from the Vosters who, uh, the way we heard it, were serving in their own church, which is just down the road in Southampton, and they felt a call to serve God somewhere else. That's a high calling, isn't it? I don't mean just to go somewhere else. I mean a high calling to serve where we are. That's what we're going to look at today, and that's what makes the church so beautiful, because the church is a place of service, of serving, where people serve other people. It's a place to serve and to be served, to give and to receive. Now, the church is unlike a business, maybe a business that you work or used to work for, because every business that I know of, unless it's nonprofit, exists to make a profit, right? That's why you probably have a job there. But instead, the church exists for the sake of its own people and for those who are not yet part of it. Its funds are used for the needs of the church. They're not dividends that are paid to its own members. You ever think about it that way? In fact, the church's CEO said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, can you imagine those words coming out of the mouth of some head of a large corporation? <laughs> He'd probably be fired, right? And yet, following Jesus' words, the worldwide church of Jesus Christ 
continues to grow by serving others. That's what makes it so beautiful. And the story in the book of Acts, chapter 6 today, is about a conflict that divided that church and how it was solved by learning how to serve its people better. So today, I'd like to ask four questions. First, how did the early church learn to serve others? Second, what does Shelton look like in the way we serve others? Third, what motivates us to serve? And finally, how are you serving others? All right, so let's go on this journey here. The first part is a picture of uh, the early church. Our history is right here, and it says in verse 1 that there was a conflict in the church. Now, it <laughs> shouldn't surprise us. Every church has problems, internal problems. If you leave a church because you don't like what's going on, then the next church you go to is going to disappoint you as well in some way because there will be problems. And it's not a question of what kind of church has problems or doesn't, but it's how the church addresses its conflicts. So let's go back in time now and see in verse 1 where it says, in those days when the numbers of disciples were increasing so the church was growing, there was a problem of this magnitude. Hellenistic Jews among them were complaining against the Hebraic Jews that their widows, the Hebraic, sorry, the Hellenistic Jewish widows were being overlooked at the food pantry in the daily distribution of food. So let's define our terms a bit. This sounds a little odd, doesn't it? <laughs> Who are we talking about? Well, Apparently, the apostles, who were the leaders of the church as it started, they were acting like pastors today, were also in charge of meeting the physical needs of the people in the church, especially people who didn't have a safety net, widows. There was no social security, and if a woman lost her husband, then essentially she lost her paycheck. And that's where the church stepped in. The government didn't. That's where the church stepped in and said, we will support you. And that's why, if you remember in the book of James that we looked at this summer, it said in chapter 1, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. The church has always cared for the helpless, and always should. So, it's caring for widows, but it's not doing it well. How do you know this? Because it says there was a complaint, and there's two different groups. We could call them ethnic groups of Jewish people. In your Bible, one group is called Hebraic widows or Hebrew widows. That refers to women who were speaking Aramaic or Hebrew, the local language in Jerusalem. They're the ones that kept the traditions very strictly. 
they were the um, local conservative Jewish Christian messianic believers, we would say. That was the original church. That's where the church was born from. But there was another group that is Hellenistic or Greco-Roman Jewish widows. Again, they're all believing in Jesus. They're all Jewish, but they're coming from a different cultural background. Maybe they didn't keep some of the traditions that the local Jewish people kept. Maybe they spoke more Greek than Aramaic. Maybe they liked different foods from around the world as opposed to the local menu. Anyway, there was a clash here, and somehow the apostles were giving more food to their kind of widows, the local Hebraic ones, and neglecting the newcomers, the, the Hellenistic ones. It doesn't say they were, you know, neglecting them on purpose, but somehow there was a clash and there was a complaint that arose. Every church has situations like this. There's no pure justice on earth, and in church, not everything always works perfectly. Again, the issue is, I want to find a perfect church. The issue should be, how does the church respond to issues like this? So how did this church do it? Verse 2 says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. You see what the leaders did? First of all, they didn't hide the problem. <laughs> they talked about it. They communicated it. And they led with a proposal, which was, you all help to solve the problem that we all are experiencing. They gave ownership to the people, and they let them pick those people. Verse 5 says, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose. Isn't that interesting? They chose. There was a congregational vote, kind of like what we do. And you have the names here so well pronounced by Bruce. I won't read them again. But they are all Greek names. You get that? The men that they chose were the ones that were related to culturally, ethnically, to the Hellenistic widows. Hmm. And they presented the men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And verse 7 says, So, as a result of this solving the problem, the church, I'm sorry, the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. That's a brilliant solution to a very sticky problem. Note also that the apostles had to, what would we say, rearrange the priorities of their job description. They said, it's not right for us 
to wait on tables, and that word wait on is the word to serve. It's actually, if I say it in Greek, you'll hear the English, diakoneo, deacon. That's the word. It's not right for us to deacon tables. We instead will be devoted to prayer and the ministry, here's the word again, the deaconing of the word and prayer. The word ministry, service, deacon, it's all the same thing here. It means to serve. So what happened here? As they thought about the priority of what the church should do, the the apostles, could we say the pastors and the elders, were serving the church best by word-based, scripture-based ministry, teaching, preaching, counseling, discipling others. And the servants, the deacons, and later on it became deaconesses, men and women, serve the church best by helping people with other needs, caring for people in ways that free up the pastors and elders to concentrate on Scripture-centered ministry. Both are essential to the life of the church. And isn't it revealing to us that when God set up, later on in the book of Timothy, we have elders, pastors, and deacons and deaconesses set up as official offices in every church around the world. Isn't it interesting that both of those offices are leading the church by serving people? The church grows by serving other people. The leaders in the church grow the church by service. That's beautiful. Beautiful serving is the catalyst for church growth. So my second question then is, how does Chelton serve other people? You know, it's one thing to look at the early church and then you line up our church and say, do we match in some ways or are we far from it? Well, I'd like to say, first of all, I don't think we're too far from it because, first of all, we do have these two offices built into our church, always have elders, pastors, and deacons, deaconesses. So let me talk about those for a minute. The pastors and elders, like the apostles, serve the church by Scripture-based ministries. Pastors serve the church in worship services kind of like what I'm doing now, uh, or what our other pastors do, by teaching, preaching, praying, counseling, and I find it a real privilege uh, to be a part of that ministry. Elders, we call them lay elders as opposed to Staff elders, like I'm a staff elder, pastor. Lay elders have other employment, but they serve in the same way. 
They oversee all the ministries of the church. They teach. They counsel. They create a vision for the church based on Scripture and prayer. I'm so grateful for the men that I call brothers who uh, actually in between services today are going to meet to pray and anoint someone with oil for healing. Uh, you've heard us talk about that before, but our elders are always praying, thinking, shepherding, serving our church, and uh, I hope you know them and get to know them as good as I do. They are wonderful men of God. Also, Shelton has deacons and deaconesses. It's the same word, it's just a feminine ending on the Greek word, <laughs> okay? So, men and women who are servants. And let me just talk about the deacons first. I emailed the chair of each board to make sure I didn't forget anything. So, here's what deacons do. Each deacon stays in contact with a group of members and attendees to provide help for physical and spiritual needs by pointing them to resources or people for help. So I hope if you have been contacted by a deacon, you can say, oh yeah, I, that's right, I've been in touch or I've gotten an email or a phone call or a personal contact. If you haven't, <laughs> then please let someone know that no one has been in touch with you. We don't want people to fall through the cracks that way. Deacons also um, are in charge of what we call our fellowship fund. You've probably heard of this. This is a ministry that provides financial help to people in need, both here in the church and outside of the church. So if you have a need, and I know it's difficult to sometimes express this, or if you know someone who has a need, please say something to either your deacon or your pastors or someone in leadership here and say, how, how can we help this friend of mine or this family member or even my own physical need, financial need? Uh, deacons also help in baptisms and in the communion serving. You see them up here and up in the balcony every month. They help in the food pantry, and they help in the membership process as well. And there's probably other ways that I haven't mentioned. Deacons. Deacons are elected every year from our congregation, and I'm just so thankful for the men uh, that I know that give of their lives, their time, and their energy for you. At the same time, I'm also just as grateful for our deaconesses who serve the church in so many different ways. Uh, you heard Jake talk about our welcome center out here. So after church every Sunday, I think there are two deaconesses that are back there to give you information about our church, to give you a little gift bag to answer any questions. But they do far more than that. They visit people who are shut in their homes and can't get out to church. They write encouraging notes in their card ministry. They um, help with baptisms. And every month at communion, 
you don't see them up front. But have you ever wondered who fills the communion cups with grape juice or who breaks the crackers that, by the way, are gluten-free? Just saying. If you need those, we've got them. All the crackers are gluten-free. Who breaks them up and puts them in the little cups and puts the cups in the trays and brings the trays here? Yes, those are the deaconesses that you probably never see do that. They organize and prepare luncheons at memorial services. They help also with a fellowship fund. And they organize meals for those who are ill or have new additions to their family. And finally, I didn't know this, the missions apartment is kept clean and stocked by the deaconesses. And you say, missions apartment? Yeah, you know, there's a house as you pull in on the right and the first floor, or is it both floors? Or is it the second floor? <laughs> I should know, right? Uh, anyway, it's in that house that we have a missionary apartment and as missionaries come and go, they can stay there. Deaconesses. Now, you might be saying, all right, well, I'm not a deacon and I'm not a deaconess, so I guess that rules me out. No, it doesn't. It's not just deaconesses and deacons and elders and pastors who serve. It should be everyone at Chelton. That's why the New Testament commands not just those people to serve, but all of us to serve. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Serve one another humbly in love. Or here's another one. First um, Peter 4. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Now, so many of you serve in so many ways, large and small, noticed and unnoticed, with people here at church, or maybe it's friends in your community, or even people you don't know. You, I can say this with all good conscience, from what I know of our people, you do really well at reaching out and touching other people's lives. Here's just one example from this week I want to share with you, and I have permission to share it. Um, many of you know that one of our long-term members, Teresa Boys, has been suffering with a brain tumor for almost a year now. And when a request went out just two weeks ago, I think it was, for anyone from Chelton who could rotate staying with her for a couple of hours in the day or a couple of hours during the night, um, that call went out and within a few days, at least eight women volunteered to serve Teresa in this way. And many of those, not eight, but others, continue to serve Teresa in other ways too. You don't hear about that. We don't promote it. But it's done. And I could say, as a pastor, I am so 
It puts a smile on the face of our leaders when we hear of someone who, for instance, uh, I just heard two weeks ago about Teresa. Oh, yeah, so-and-so helped in this way. And I'm thinking, Lord, you knew about that. And I'm just so grateful that it's not like, as leaders, we have to announce every Sunday, hey, we need you too. Sometimes we do that. But to be able to just kind of sail along and say, God, thank you that your people are serving. And all of these avenues are paths of beauty. Now, if I could just take a third question and say, why? why? Like, what would, what would make someone say, yeah, I'll stay up maybe all night for a couple nights of the week so that Teresa can you know, be protected in her home. Why would someone do that? We say, well, they must be friends with Teresa. Well, maybe. But I think there's something deeper that goes on. Our greatest motivation to serve other people as Christians, it's not just because we're nice people or we want to do something nice, but it's because we have been served and are being served by our Savior. Remember what Jesus himself said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ultimate act of his serving was becoming humanly a servant and going to the cross where he took our sins on him, where he died and rose and now reigns, and he continues to serve every one of us. He does? Yes, he prays for each one of us. He gives us of his spirit to empower us. He gives us peace and knowledge of himself through scriptures, and he will keep us going as we persevere until we see him face to face. That's why Paul said in Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus did. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He looked at the needs of others as more important so you see, that's why Christians, we don't artificially do this. We shouldn't have to be beaten over the head. You need to serve. No, it's, it should be something that is coaxed out of us because we know what it's like to be ultimately, eternally served by God. We've had Billions of dollars forgiven, as Jesus said. Can't we give somebody a couple bucks? Remember the parable? So as the Spirit gives us new hearts to obey, God's people just want to express that love to others that's been shown to us. And the fourth and last question, how are you serving others? Remember I said every church has problems? So I'm not saying that everyone in our church is serving the way they should. I mean, I wish that would be true, but I know I'm not. So 
Maybe I'll just ask the question to myself, but also to all of you. I want to push you a bit. Maybe some of you are not serving anyone in any way. And I'd like to just say, okay, here's the Spirit of God tugging at your heart. Are you listening? You're missing following Jesus' example. You are missing the opportunity of changing someone else's life. You're, you're losing the joy of serving. Monday night in our leadership meeting, I interviewed one of our deaconesses, and someone asked her something about why she does all this, all these things. And she said something like, well, I just love to serve because God has been so good to me in my life. When you think about how someone has served you in a big or small way, remember that you can impact another person's life in the same way, too. That's exciting. That's a privilege. So, again, I'm going to ask, what gift has God given you to serve other people? You say, well, I don't know. Well, stay tuned. Uh, in January, we're going to have a whole month devoted to our gifts and using our gifts. But before then, I'll just give you a simple question. What do you like to do for God? What do you really enjoy doing? That's your gift. So use it. Use it today. Use it this week. It's not an option. First Peter 4 said, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. And Philippians says, you should consider someone else's comfort more important than yours. Well, let's just say, make it as important as yours, and that's a start. And when you serve someone else, remember, it really matters to our Lord. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 6 says. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. If no one else sees, that doesn't matter because our Lord does. God sees your beautiful servants, service, and that should be enough. So, dear friends, keep serving. And if you're not, remember this. If God has your heart, he will have your hands. So, Father, we come to you today, first of all, thanking you for sending your son to take the form of a servant to die, to rise, and to be our Savior, our coming King. Thank you for putting your Spirit in our hearts. Thank you for those men and women and boys and girls who in some way have touched our lives. Lord, we have received so much. Now, make 
us, your beautiful people, make Chelton a more beautiful church as we seek to serve many more people until we see Jesus face to face. In his name we pray. Amen.